relationship that human beings can have with God is an amazing thing and can produce a remarkable life. Uh, Jesus said in making an incredibly bold statement that um, if you want to have life to the full, follow me. And what he's talking about is this, this dynamic where a human being, all of us born alienated from God because of sin, can have sin forgiven and we're reconciled with God. And all of a sudden we have this, this relationship that is central to who we are. We are transformed by the work of God's spirit within us, literally given a new identity. We're changed. And we get to live life following Christ. His wisdom, his truth, his grace, his love, his joy, the whole deal. And Jesus says that is life to the full. Let me put it in a different way. What he's saying is the best experience of life that a human being can have is in relationship with me and my Father through me. You don't have Jesus, you can't have that life. If you do have Jesus, listen to me, you have the potential of that incredible life. And I say potential because it's possible to never really experience it the way that he described it. Let me ask you right now, are you living, the, living a life to the full as Jesus described it? He also called it a different translation, the abundant life. Are you there? See, we want to take hold of this thing, I would suggest to you. We want, we, we're, we're, like, in the core of our being, we're really pretty intent about this. We want to find it. We want to take hold of it. We want to discover it. My question to you is how many of us really do? And maybe most, mostly to the point as I speak, I guess, individually to you, have you. Um, here's my thought, that at the very least, some people don't, even those who claim the name of Jesus and believe in him. Which in one way is kind of sad. I hadn't thought of it till right now, but that's really sad. Potential, possibility, but we don't take hold sometimes. Well, today, uh, on a second Sunday, I'm going to... Um, talk about one of the things that I believe with all of my heart, and I think scripture speaks really clearly to, keeps us from taking hold of that reality, living the life the way it was intended to be lived. In abundance and in joy and in goodness, adventure, you know, with the power of God in us and all these sorts of things. Um, and what that one thing is, is idol worship. Can I ask, are there any idol worshipers here? Let me see those hands. Now, some are nodding yes, interesting, yeah. You know what I think? The potential is for every single one of us, including myself, to be idol worshipers, to participate in idolatry. And I hope to be able to explain that to you today in a way that will have great impact in your life and lead you toward the abundant life Jesus spoke to. Um, I'm going to read from Isaiah 44 in a little while. Um, the situation is this, that the, there is a foreign king and a foreign army which is encroaching upon God's people. They are living with threat. They are living with potential danger. You know, they're, they're, they're in incredible need. And what we're going to do is read a passage that's descri that describes the, the response of God's people to that threat. All right? And it's, it's quite striking. Remember, this is written to God's people. And it is they who are participating in ways that maybe aren't as, as good as they could be. And it's the story about idol making and then idol worship. Just in a few verses. Um, tells about a craftsman who takes very ordinary tools and or he shapes the tools and, and then another craftsman who takes those tools and he hammer and chisel and, and, and takes a piece of wood such as what you have before you here and, and out of this piece of wood they, 
they, they form an idol. Uh, and as you will hear in the passage, then people bow down and, and they worship this, this, uh, this piece of wood. So let me read to you Isaiah chapter 44, verses 12 to 17. Listen to, listen to, the, uh, to the process. The blacksmith stands at his forge to make a sharp tool, pounding and shaping it with all his might. His work makes him hungry and weak. It makes him thirsty and faint. Then the woodcarver measures a block of wood and draws a pattern on it. He works with chisel and plane and carves it into a human figure. He gives it human beauty and puts it in a little shrine. He cuts down cedars. He selects the cypress and the oak. He plants the pine in the forest to be nourished by the rain. Then he uses part of the wood to make a fire. With it, he warms himself and bakes his bread. Then, yes, it's true. That's meaning to say, unbelievably, it's true. He takes the rest of it and makes himself a god to worship. He makes an idol and bows down in front of it. He burns part of the tree to roast his meat and to keep himself warm. He says, ah, that fire feels good. Then he takes what's left and makes his god, a carved idol. He falls down in front of it, worshiping and praying to it. Rescue me, he says. You are my god. Um... Essentially, what's going on here is, as I say, is clearly just saying, this idol of yours is only wood. It's nothing more. Um, you fashion it with your hands, and, you, and then you bow before it, and, and then, you, then you ask it to rescue you. You ask it to save you, another translation says. It's essentially like, save me, O idol, for you, piece of wood, you are my God. And here, in essence, is the essence of idolatry. Two pieces of wood. Let's just assume this one, this one is to make dinner with, right? But the same wood, let's just assume they're from the same tree, uh, the craftsman take and, and he elevates it above himself. He places it right there. He elevates it above himself and in essence what he's doing is saying, you are greater than me, um, you are you're of in, 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 uh, incredible and, and, and ultimate significance now in my life. Um, and I will bow down to you. When we bow down to something, we humble ourselves before it, don't we? We recognize its greatness. And, 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 but then here is the key. These people literally expect that carved piece of wood to have power. They expect it to have the capacity to save them, the ability somehow to act on their behalf to rescue them. They literally think that, that, that something that is nothing more than a hunk of wood has the power to save their lives from this oncoming enemy, this powerful king and the horde that he has with him to destroy. Um, see, in their process of create, taking something that is good and, and normal... They, they create this idol, and they, they, they endow it with power, and they start then to trust it to act on their behalf. That's what idolatry is. I, Isaiah goes on, and he said, essentially, people who do this are blind. They can't see. They don't have understanding in their minds. They think this chunk of wood can, can do something. The fact is, they can do, it can do nothing. 18 to verse 20, listen. Such stupidity and ignorance. We kind of get that, right? It's a piece of wood. It can't save us from the enemy approaching. It's a piece of wood. Such stupidity and ignorance. Their eyes are closed and they cannot see. Their minds are shut and they cannot think. 
The person who made the idol never stops to reflect why it's just a block of wood. I burned half of it for heat and I used it to bake my bread and roast my meat. How can the rest of it be a god? Should I bow down and worship a piece of wood? The poor, deluded fool feeds on ashes. He trusts, not the word, he trusts something that can't help him at all. Yet he cannot bring himself to ask, is this idol that I am holding in my hand a lie? And I want to tell you, my friends, there is the heart of idolatry, the heart of idol worship. When we come to a place when human beings believe a lie, something that is absolutely and entirely untrue. Any idol worshipers here? Just wondering. You know, Isaiah, in chapter 41, it's interesting because these famous chapters are about, in part, idolatry. And um, he comes uh, in a particular place, and, and he has just described how he has told the history and he's foretelling the future, that he is God, that he is the living Lord of the universe, and he has power and capacity. And then let's go to 41, verses 22 to 24. Let them try the idols. Let them try to tell us what has happened long ago so that we may consider the evidence. Or let them tell us what the future holds so we can know what's going on. God is challenging them. See if you can do what I do. Yes, tell us what will occur in the days ahead. Then we will know you are gods. In fact, do anything, good or bad. Do something that will amaze us, amaze and frighten us. But no, you are less than nothing and can do nothing at all, those who choose you pollute, pollute themselves. Did you hear the, that verse in the middle? I don't care what you do. Just, do. just do something. Somehow prove that you have power, O block of wood. And of course, the block of wood never does anything good or bad. Nothing to amaze or frighten us because it's a block of wood. And he's trying to open up the eyes of God's people to see reality, to stop believing in a lie, to stop trusting in something that has no power to act on their behalf, to stop believing in something that cannot rescue them. I want to tell you, my friends, this we do. I do it and you do it, or we are at least sorely tempted toward it. We don't, you know, we're too sophisticated to take a piece of wood and think it's powerful now, right? 21st century Canada, we'd never think such a thing. But you know what we do? We take good things. This wood is not a bad thing. This is the creation of God. We take a good thing and we elevate things in our lives above ourselves and we bow before them, giving them significance and attributing power to them. And we look to them to be able to do for us what we desperately need done. And I want to I give you some examples. I'm going to start with this. I'm leaving the wood, by the way, because I want you to recognize that this is a piece of wood. And this is the parallel. Sometimes we worship our work. Sometimes, you know, we, we come to a place in our minds where we think, you know, this is of ultimate value, and we bow in its presence, and we give our lives to this. We give it way too much significance. We give it way too much importance. We throw our lives at this because we believe the lie that work, if we, if we immerse ourselves in it to, to an incredible extent, somehow that will give us the significance and value as, as a person that we, that we desperately need. You know? 
It's not true. Only God can provide that. But, but we think that work can save us from this feeling of insignificance. So what do we become? Workaholics. Because somehow in the working to, to, to that nth degree, you know, we will get to that place where we look what I've accomplished. Look at me. So we raise it up and we bow before it and we live for this thing at the exclusion of all else and sometimes to the harm and detriment of ourselves and other people, to the, to the avoidance and to the, to, to the neglect of our relationship with God. It's everything because of what it can do for me. It's powerful. How about this one? I'm just going to place this over here. Symbolic, right? Yeah, there you go. Food. Uh, anybody ever eat here for, for reasons, consume food for reasons other than nutritional benefit? <laughs> that didn't take long. <laughs> you know, sometimes we, we eat just to feel better, right? Now, don't put up your hands, but it's true. I do this. This, by the way, is one of my potential alternate gods. You know, you know, in times in my life when I'm stressed or I'm anxious or I'm down or whatever, I literally will walk to the cupboard where the cookies are kept and I watch myself do it. I know this stuff. I'll walk there. Boy, a lot of heads moving right now. <laughs> I'll walk to that cupboard because I know I'm looking for help. I need something to make me feel better about life. I just want a little, I want a little lift. I want some enjoyment in my life. What I'm really saying is I want joy in my life, which is pretty lacking right now. And if I'll just take that cookie or that slice of pie, you know what? I'm going to feel better. And I need that right now. And instead of going to Jesus, sometimes I bow in the presence of the pie or the cookie and I eat it. And I look for food to make me feel good about me. I was uh, talking to a woman, not near here at all, but a week and a half ago, and she said, you know, I'm a vegan. I thought, oh, that's very impressive. You know, that's a step beyond vegetarianism where there's no dairy, I believe. Is that right? She said, there are only three things I eat that aren't vegan. I said, oh, what are they? She said, chocolate, ice cream, and cheese. <laughs> I almost laughed out loud, right? I thought, how can you be so disciplined that you eat a vegan diet, but that you so it, blow it so incredibly terribly with chocolate, ice cream, and cheese? And I think there's somebody who's bowing to food. Remember, food's not a bad thing. Work's not a bad thing. Work created by God, food created by God. But they're created things. They're not to be worshipped. We are not to go to them to provide to us what we need. We're not to bow to them and allow them to control our lives and our behavior. We're not to live for them. Because when we do, they become idols in our lives. My friends, we're to go to the one who has the power to satisfy us and to provide what we need. How about this one? How about the approval of other people? I want to tell you, this is a big one for a lot of people. It's huge. And to be honest with you, this is the other alternate God in my life, potentially. It's a little ironic that he, God put me in front of hundreds of people every Sunday when I have this potential idol in my life, right? 
But basically what this is, 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 is this, the, the idea that, you know, what other people think and what they say about me is incredibly important. Um, it is the perspectives of other people that are communicated to me that basically give me that sense of affirmation in terms of who I, are, who I am. And we put people and their impression of us on a pedestal and we bow in its presence and we live to, to nurture that perspective. And to get people to think well of us and to, to think that we're okay because if you think well of me and you, if you think I'm okay, then I'm going to think I'm okay. Without it, I think something very different. And we live for that approval. You know what the Bible says? What people say to you is not the truth. What God says is true. And what he thinks of you is of great importance and significance. Bow toward that. Give yourself to that. Don't look to other people for some sense of affirmation, for some sense of significance, for some sense that you're okay. If God thinks you are okay, then you are okay. Live your life in that light. How about this one? We've talked about this a fair bit recently, so we won't spend a long time about it, but sexuality. You know, we can elevate this thing as incredibly important in our lives, even to the point of disobeying God and God's call in our lives regarding it, thinking that somehow, somehow sitting in front of that computer screen and, and watching pornography or having that other one-night stand might somehow satisfy my need, might somehow satisfy my soul. Is it any wonder in a, in a society where the knowledge of God is all but absent that sexuality has become so prominent and so important? I say no. This idol has replaced the knowledge of, of God. And people are worshiping to it and they are bowing to it. But it won't satisfy your soul. Never has and it never will. What about this one? Maybe stop saying that so often. Money and the things which money can buy. There's a belief, there's a lie, and it's this, money will make me happy. If I only had a little bit more, then I'd be happy, then I'd be satisfied. You know, the idea that, that if I just had more money in the bank, then I would be secure. In spite of what Jesus said, it can disappear like that. But I think if it's in the bank, I'm okay, I'm safe. That, that if I have lots of this stuff, then I can buy those status symbols, which will then allow everybody to think highly of me and think I'm an amazing, incredible person because I, you know, I drive the right car or live in the right neighborhood or something. And we raise money up to idle status in our minds and we value it above all and we live for it and sometimes it takes us to workaholism or it takes us in all kinds of different places, but we want to get more of it and we worship it. In so doing. Sports. You ever think of sports as a God? Let me read to you 2 Timothy 3, 1-4. It says this. Speaking of the end times, you, you should know this, Timothy, Paul writing to his protege, the now pastor, that in the last days there will be very difficult times. For people will love only themselves and their money, incidentally, they will be boastful and proud, scoffing at God, disobedient to their parents, ungrateful. They will consider nothing sacred. They will be unloving and unforgiving. They will slander others and have no self, 
control. They will be cruel and hate what is good. They will betray their friends, be reckless, be puffed up with pride, and love pleasure rather than God. In the old line, lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of God. How do you know what a society absolutely values? I want to suggest to you, it's probably what society spends its money on. I was at a Blue Jays game some years ago now, I don't know, maybe five years ago, and it was the last game that Doc Holliday was going to pitch for the Blue Jays. Remember him? Great pitcher, highly skilled, gifted guy, and it was this, he's on the mound for the very last time. Everybody knows it. The season's ending. He's done. He's going elsewhere. And it was one of those moments where, you know, you're, th- you're sitting and thinking, it's like, it's almost sad. You know, people were applauding ridiculously, and they were, you know, just so thankful for this. It's almost like they were going to cry, you know? The last day Doc's going to be with us. Do you know, how, you know what we paid him? $11 million a year to throw a baseball that year and many previous. And I say, you know what we paid him? Because we paid him $11 million a year to throw a baseball. You know how when you go to a sports event and basketball or football or, or hockey or whatever, um, uh, baseball too, and, and, and a player makes an incredible play, you know what sometimes some people do, usually guys, maybe women are too smart for this, I don't know, but they'll go like this. Seen them do this? I've yet to see this happen when I'm preaching, and I'm glad. <laughs> and I know it's fun, but they're worshiping the player because of his incredible talent. But I want to tell you, I think there's something highly symbolic about it, too. Who, get pay, who gets paid the big bucks in our society? Sports? Heroes? Movie? Actors? And probably people in business at the highest level. What do we value? What have we placed on high? What do we bow toward? By handing our money in large measure to them. Last one. How about a person? You know, if I could only find that guy, then I'd be happy. If I could only find that woman to marry, then I would be happy. She or he, and we've dealt with this recently too, she or he would complete my life. I would be whole if I could just have that relationship, right? Wrong. You know, we can't hold someone up as a solution to the struggles and the needs that we have in our lives. What we have learned, and if you've been here, you know it, it is God and it is God alone who can complete us and make us whole. The living God, the all-powerful God, the God who has capacity and capability to to speak into our lives and to give us that sense of, 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 of value and of significance. You see, in each one of these various uh, um, potential idols, there is a lie being told. And every single one of them, and the others that maybe you could add to it. And the lie is that these things can do for us what we desperately need. (laughs) That, That they are able to satisfy our souls when they cannot. They just can't. They're the equivalent to a block of wood. They're created things, and they are incapable of meeting our needs at a deep level. 
The truth is that none of them can even come close. None of them can rescue. None of them can save. The needs in our lives for value and significance, for security, for joy, for approval, my friends, listen to me. They can only be met in a relationship with the living God. Now let me ask you, what is your idol or potential idol? What is that thing that you elevate to such a high level that you bow in the presence of, that you give your life to in service? What is it that you believe in to meet your need? Here's how you can know what your idol is. I want to just give you two points. Number one, an idol generally is something that we cannot say no to. Try getting a workaholic to stop working so hard. It is next to impossible. It is really, really hard. Try getting a food addict to stop eating. They are often powerless in the face of food. Try getting a sex addict who can't turn <laughs> to, to stop looking at the porn on the computer or can't stop the one night stands. Even if the, in the core of their being they don't want to do those things, they keep on doing it because they have given themselves over to idolatry. And then number two, try taking away from someone their idol and see what happens. They will fight you they, in order to hold on to it as if their life depends upon it because they think their life depends upon it. See, they really believe it does. They really believe it will be pretty much impossible to survive without the money, the approval, the work, the sexuality, whatever the case might be. I want to tell you, my friends, the threat here and now in this culture is not an invading army. It's not a cruel king who is bent on destruction. The, the, th the threat in our lives is a fear that somehow we're not valuable, we're not significant, we're not worthy, that we're not secure, and that we're not approved of. And I want to tell you this, I want, and I want you to hear it, and I want, it to let, I want you to let it impact your life. There is one who can rescue, there is one who can save, and his name is Jesus. That's the truth. And here's what we do. We spend our lives blinded and without understanding, without the capacity to think, without the capacity to look at, to see with this, this idol that I'm holding in my hand and asking if it's a lie. And we give ourselves to pursuing all of these things because there's a longing in our heart that desperately needs to be satisfied. And many of us, even followers of Jesus, never get to that place. Because we're looking in the wrong direction for the solution, for the rescue, for the salvation. That's sad. It's really, really sad when the potential is there for life to the full for God's people. When some of them, some of us never take hold of it. You know, I didn't know Rachel was going to begin the service today talking about Mary and Martha and Jesus' visit to their home, but I'm glad she did. Because Martha, of course, is screwing about getting the meal ready and getting, preparing the house. All understandable, as Rachel said. But you know, what, you know what the Bible says about Mary? It said that she sat at his feet listening to his words. There's the picture, my friends, of two ways of doing life. We can rush like mad after the things that we believe in 
even though they're lying to us. We can live for them and never be sad. Or we can sit at the feet of Jesus and listen to his words. What would he say to us? Well, he'd say things like this. It's all through scripture, these precious, powerful moments when, when the spirit of God comes and opens the word of God and deeply impresses it upon our heart. I hope you know what I'm talking about. If you don't, let's figure it out together. But Jesus would come along by his spirit and he'd say, here's what I think of you. Here's the truth. You are precious in my sight. You're my child. And I love you. And I delight in your presence. And you have incredible value because I value you. Never doubt that again. And the Lord Jesus would come along and say, don't fear the, the, the opinions of other people. Embrace my opinion of you. Believe it because it's true. And he'd say, never fear that you are, you know, in, you know, without security because there's not money in the bank. I am your security. Money can disappear in a, in a flash, but I will never leave you and forsake you. I promised you that. And I am the God of eternity and any need that you will have, I will provide for you. Never fear again. Jesus will come along and and he will speak into our lives the reality of our significance and of our value and of our security in him and of the approval of God. And I want to tell you, something will happen deep in our hearts as that truth penetrates the mind and goes right to the heart and we actually come in the end of the day to believe it. All of a sudden, all of our needs will be satisfied in him. And we won't need to run after things like workaholism or food addiction or sexuality or the approval of people or of money or of big sporting events or another person because our deepest spiritual needs will be satisfied in a knowledge of Christ and his perspective of us. And you know what will happen to our need of approval from other people? It'll dissipate. It'll just go away. And you know what will happen of our need for excessive work in order to prove how important and significant we are? It'll fade. And we'll finally be able to find some balance in life to live as God calls us to live. And you know what will happen with our porn addiction or our proclivity to one night stands all of a sudden going, no, 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 I don't need that anymore. Because my need has been met in Jesus. And our desire for money and more and more and more of it in order that we can have this and that and have this. No. The desire for food while you're standing at the cookie cupboard. I'm not kidding you. If we turn to Jesus, it just goes away. Because our deepest need has been met in the living, powerful God whom we know. You see, we get to a place where our souls are satisfied in Christ. We're not driven for these things anymore. We can enjoy them for what they are. They're all good. We can enjoy food for a different reason. We can enjoy our work as a gift of God where we celebrate him and glorify him. We can enjoy the resources God has given to us as a means to an end and not an end in themselves. And so on and so on and so on. But we are freed from bowing in the presence of a God that isn't a God. And from believing a lie that is just, well, nonsense. Because we have found the reality 
of a Savior who has saved us. Um, my friends, I want you to know life to the full. I don't want you to get to the end of the day and say, man, I know, I know this stuff is true, but did I ever really take hold of it? Will you seek as I am seeking to turn away from idolatry, to no longer believe the lie that, has, that these things have power, for they don't, to no longer believe that they're the solution to our need, and will we give ourselves to being like Mary who just learned to sit at the feet of Jesus, no longer rushing around madly trying to prove anything or accomplish, just sit at the feet of Jesus, listening to his words. There, my friends, we find life. There is our hope. There is truth. There is joy. There we are set free. Let's pray. Lord, we recognize that really often we are, we are blind and sometimes we just lack understanding. And God, we want to see and we want to understand the truth and we want to live according to it. Father, I pray for these people gathered in your presence today as I pray for myself, for all of us, Lord. We pray that you will identify the potential alternate idol in our lives. Help us to see and understand where, what we run to, what we seek affirmation and significance and security and joy from. And Lord, help us to put those things in their place. No longer believing the lie that somehow they have the power or the capacity to meet our need, for they don't. And God, we pray from the bottom of our hearts that you will, especially when we are tempted to worship other things, that Lord, we will literally turn to you, Lord Jesus, and that we will sit at your feet and we will hear your words and we will find in those words the truth that will satisfy our souls. God, free us from idolatry. Turn our hearts and our minds to you and to your truth. Speak those truths profoundly into our lives that we might be set free and ultimately our God that we might know life and life to the full. These things we pray in the name of the Rescuer, the Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen.